Martha read me something out of the Reader's Digest, a recent Reader's Digest that just broke me up when she read it to me. And uh, we've laughed about it and shared it with a few other people. I, I want to read it to you. Current issue of Reader's Digest. On the NBC Tonight Show, Johnny Carson read an item from the Lost and Found column in a Midwestern newspaper. Quote, Lost Dog Brown Fur Some Missing Due to Mange Blind in One Eye Deaf Lame Leg Due to Recent Traffic Accident Slightly Arthritic goes by the name of Lucky. <laughs> now, isn't that classic? Lost, mange, blind, deaf, been hit by a car, arthritic, Lucky. You know, the more I got thinking about that, and I was driving down the expressway, and I got to laughing about it. Have you ever noticed if you get to laughing and you're in the car by yourself, people look at you like you, <laughs> like something's wrong with you? And if you look mad, you look normal, you know, driving. And I got to laughing about that. And, you know, the more I thought about it, that dog is lucky. And you know why he's lucky? He's loved. He's loved. Somebody wants him. Making a difference what he looks like, what kind of condition he's in, how messed up he is, how badly hurt he is, how blind he is, how many mistakes he's made. He's lucky. Because he's loved. You're lucky. You say, oh, Buckner, you don't understand the problems I have, physical problems and uh, business problems. And my, I feel like that dog. I've been hit and I've been hurt and I can't see very well and I can't hear very well and I'm stiff and I can't get it all figured out. Yes, but listen, God loves you. You're lucky. He wants you. Now, we all know we're hurt, don't we? We, we all know we need help. I didn't get a chance to read the morning paper this morning. just picked it up and took it in the house, but I noticed on the front page of the light, the top of the page, two articles. One, what's wrong with women? They'd had some interviews with men, and they told what's wrong with women. On the other side of the page, what's wrong with men? Women had been interviewed. And here, on Valentine's Day, headlines, well, nearly headlines. It was right above an important headline about coyotes in Bandera or something like that. I, <laughs> some big world problem that we have. Um, 
What's wrong with women? What's wrong with men? Look, we all know there are things wrong with us, don't we? Sure we do. They just made a recent survey. Do you realize that there are over 3,000 diet books have been published in America? 3,000. Over 2,000 self-improvement manuals. Over 1,000 sex manuals. Thousands of books. People buying them, spending millions of dollars trying to fix up their own life and figure out their own life and straighten out their own life. We know we need help. And God knows we need help. God knows we need help. And that's why he's looking for us. He's looking for you. It began way back there in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve had their problem and what happened in the cool of the evening? God came walking in the garden in the cool of the evening saying, Adam, where are you? Where are you? I want you. I love you. I know you've messed up. I know you've fouled up. I know you've disobeyed me. But I want you. Lucky. I care about you and I want to help you and heal you and restore you. The Lord knows our problem. And that's why all through the law and the prophets and through the message of Jesus Christ and across 2,000 years of Christian history, do you know what God has been trying to do through his people? He's been trying to advertise the fact that he cares about the world. That's what we're here to do. That's what church is supposed to be all about. We're here to announce some good news, to advertise the fact that God wants you, and God loves you, and God cares about you. doesn't make any difference what you've done, how messed up you are, how hurt you are, how down on yourself you are. You're lucky because God loves you, every one of you, each one of you. Now, the Lord himself knows that we've got a problem. And he knows that we know it, but he also knows that there can be no solution to our problem until we respond to his invitation. Now, you can be invited all day long to a meal, but if you don't respond and come in, you can stand right there at the table and starve to death, can't you? For the remedy to be applied, you've got to take it. You can go to every doctor in San Antonio. He can prescribe you medicine, but if you leave it in the bottle, you're not going to get well. Now, God's remedy is provided to us, but we've got to respond to it. And when we respond to it, it goes to work. We love him, the scripture says. Why? Because he first loved us. God took the, took the initiative. God takes the initiative. God loves you. And what he wants us to do is to respond to his love. And when we respond to it, we're found. We're helped, we're encouraged, we're fed, we're loved, we're provided for. Jesus said this and stated this answer in response to a question by a lawyer. Now, my brother is an attorney, as most of you or many of you know. Many of my closest friends are attorneys. That's what I wanted to be before the Lord impressed me that I should go into the ministry. 
But I've noticed something about attorneys. It's just natural to them. They're trained to do it. It's just, it's just part of them. They're hooked on definitions. I mean definitions. They want to know what you mean by what you mean by what you mean. Now, they wouldn't be good lawyers if they didn't do that. But they always ask you that question. Well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? Well, I mean what I meant. Well, what do you mean by what you meant? I gave my brother a book for his birthday a few years ago. It was a book about a famous attorney. And uh, I thought it was remarkable that I even remembered I had a brother in the first place and that secondly had a birthday and that I would buy him a gift, which I did. I bought him this book and uh, about this famous lawyer, and I inscribed in the front of the book, to my lawyer brother Bob, you take care of me here, and I will take care of you there, signed, <laughs> your preacher brother Buckner. Well, I thought that's being kind of clever, you know, and sent it to him. A few days later, I received a letter. Dear Buckner, thank you so much for remembering me on my birthday and for sending me the book, which I know I will enjoy reading. However, however, in case you are unable to deliver on your end of the bargain, what recourse do I have? <laughs> That's a lawyer, right? Well, a lawyer... What's called a scribe, not exactly a lawyer by uh, modern uh, connotations or definitions, but a teacher of the law came up to Jesus and asked him a remarkable question, a wonderful question. It's recorded in the 22nd chapter of the book of Matthew. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, that's a great question. And the answer to it from the lips of Jesus is of paramount importance to us. I mean, you walk up to Jesus and say, what's the number one thing? What's the most important commandment? Better listen. Jesus replied. I want you to notice he reached back into the Pentateuch reach back into those books of Moses, Deuteronomy, and from Leviticus. Listen to this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. In other words, the second is part of it. It's the other side of the coin. You cannot put asunder that which God has joined together, and this God is joined together. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul. In other words, he's saying that we're to love God with the totality of our personality. We're to love God with our heart, with our feelings, that part of us that is emotional. That's normal. God created us as, as emotional individuals with capacity for affection. And so we're to love God with our feelings. 
But one of the tragedies is that a lot of people stop loving just with their feelings. They stop loving God only at the feeling level. When they feel good, or when they feel like God feels good toward them. All of their relationship to God is based upon this one aspect of their personality, that of feeling. But Jesus didn't stop there. Surely you're to love God with your emotions. But he said you're also to love God with your mind, with your attitudes, with your thoughts, with your priorities. You're also, he said, to love God with all of your soul. That part of us created initially in the image of God that distinguishes us from, from animals who live only by instinct and respond only to instinct. God has placed within us a soul, the capacity to choose between this and that, to say yes or no, volition. God has said, you're to love me with your will, the strongest part of your personality. You're to love me with your emotions. You're to love me not with emotion alone. You're to love me with your mind. You're to love me with your will. You're to love me with the totality of your personhood. Now, very frankly, I don't have a, I don't have a, a lot of trouble wanting to do that. God knows that I want to love him with all of my heart, with all of my mind, and with all of my soul. I don't. I don't suppose I ever will. I don't suppose any human being ever will or can. But I don't have any problem with that at all. I don't have any problem with wanting to do that, with having the desire within me. I don't imagine most of you do. To love God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul. And in all honesty, I have to tell you, I wish Jesus had stopped right there. I wish he'd just stopped right there because everybody's saying amen. Who wouldn't? Want to love God when you find out what kind of God it is we're talking about. A God who loves you and who cares for you and who advertises for you in the want ads of the world, in the lost and found columns of the universe. He wants you. When you find out what kind of God he is, who wouldn't want to love him? With all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul. And if he had just stopped there, my soul, it would have been so much easier. But he went on, and he made that next statement. And he said, this is part of it. This is inseparable from it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. <clears throat> if he had only left that alone. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. I remember a few years ago, I can't remember how old Lisa was then, and uh, she's not here today, so I'm not embarrassing her, and I wouldn't embarrass her if uh, she did happen to be here. But if she was here, I would have asked her permission before I told this story. Uh, but we were going home from Sunday school one Sunday, and she was small. Mike and Steve had gone somewhere. You know, they'd already gone in the car or we'd gotten away from them here at church and left them somehow. Anyway, it was just Martha <laughs> Martha and myself and Lisa. And Lisa was standing on the floor in the back seat between our two seats, and I could see her in the rearview mirror. I said, well, Lisa, how was Sunday school today? She said, okay. I said, uh, well, what would you talk about? She said, well, I just talked about Sunday school lesson. I said, well, 
what was the what was the memory verse? Do you remember the memory verse? And she said, uh, it was love your neighbor as you love yourself. And uh, I could see her. She couldn't know I was watching her. I said, what do you think about that? She said, uh, she said, Dad, you know little Robert? Now, most of you don't know little Robert, but you've had a little Robert in your life. <laughs> little Robert at the time lived across the street from us, and there was nothing little about him. He was omnipresent. <laughs> he was everywhere and in everything. And uh, Lisa said, Dad, you know little Robert? And I said, yes, I know little Robert. He said, does that mean that I have got to love Little Robert, as much as I love you and Mother and Mike and Steve and Princess, that's our dog. Uh, and I said, uh, well, Lisa, that's what Jesus said. I was looking at her and she was thinking. Kind of shook her head and her hair kind of flipped and she said, no way. <laughs> no way. Well, I tell you. Thank the Lord for honesty. Because she's expressing exactly the way I suppose all of us feel. There is no way. No way. No way I can do it, first of all, without some understanding of what Jesus really is saying. Now, I want you to get this. It's very important for this. Jesus is saying that we are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And our self-love is dependent upon and based upon, predicated upon, not some false evaluation of ourselves, not some self-delusion about ourselves. Our self-love is based upon the fact that we are the objects of God's love. That's what gives us work. And it is when we respond to the love of God and love Him back, it is only then that we have a proper kind of attitude toward ourselves. Some people don't love themselves enough. I'm not talking about egotism. I'm not talking about vanity. I'm talking about a biblically-based divinely ordered self-love predicated upon the fact that you are the object of the eternal love of God in Jesus Christ. Now that's what gives you worth. And for Christians or anyone to go around hating themselves and demeaning themselves and degrading themselves is a contradiction of the judgment of God and I believe it's an insult to the character of God himself. We, we are, on the basis of what Jesus said, to love other people as we love ourselves. Well, what if we don't love ourselves? How can we love anybody else? What if we hate ourselves? How can we love other people? What if we're at war with ourselves? Little wonder we're at war with other people. So the priority is to love God in response to his initiative, to love God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. And then your evaluation of yourself is completely altered. And the direction of your life is changed. And 
you can then begin to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Well, with that given, with that basis, with that foundation, how do you love yourself? Or better still, how do you not love yourself? If I am to love you like I love myself, myself who is endeavoring to love God with more of my heart, my mind, my soul every day, how am I to love you? How do I love myself? Well, first of all, I love myself unemotionally. Unemotionally. The word agape in the New Testament, which is translated love, is not an emotional word. I really wish we'd learned that. It is not an emotional word. It is an attitudinal word. It is not a word of feeling. It is a word of attitude. Isn't that the way you love yourself? Surely it is. The way we all love ourselves. We do not love ourselves emotionally. Surely we don't. We are not in love with ourselves. Now, I don't know about you, but I didn't get up this morning. But I got up early on Sunday mornings, extra early, and I went in there and I turned on the light and I looked at myself in the mirror. And what did I do when I saw myself? Did I say, Oh, my. You turned me on. I just reach over and turn off the light. It's just it's horrible. I am not emotionally in love with myself. You are not. You see, that's the difference between love and like. I do not always like the way I look. I do not always like the way I act. I do not always like the way I react, but I am always on my side. I am still attitudinally committed to myself. You see, the, the Lord didn't tell us to like everybody. We don't like everybody the same. He didn't. He had some very severe things to say to people. Surely he liked John and Peter more than he liked Judas in terms of emotional approval of what they were doing. He didn't like everybody the same any more than you do. But he loved them equally and he died for both of them equally. For love is unemotional. My love for myself is unemotional. My love for you is to be unemotional. Whether I like you at that moment or not doesn't have anything to do with it or shouldn't have anything to do with it. But part of the problem, and I'm right back to what we started on a moment ago, part of the problem is so many of us equate love with just that word feeling. We do that in our relationship to God, and so it's not surprising we do that in our relationship to other people. We think all we've got to do is just love God with our feelings, get our spine tingling, get feeling good, and suddenly everything is all right, and we don't get our minds involved in it and our wills involved in it. That's what love does when it relates properly to God, and that's what love does when it relates properly to myself, and that's what love does when it relates properly to you. It is unemotional. It is also unconditional. 
It is unconditional. Most of us, most of the time, build our relationships upon conditions. I'll love you if you love me. I'll love you if you act like I want you to act. I'll love you if you say what I want you to say. Conditional love. Agape love is, not, is unconditional. It is toward me, isn't it? Isn't it toward you? Aren't you always on your side, as I said a moment ago? I always separate me from my sin. I don't have any problem doing that at all. I always separate me from my sin. I'll stand off and look at myself and I'll say, Buckner, you weren't at your best there. You didn't do that. You were feeling bad. You were down. You were discouraged. Or you didn't resist. Or you didn't do what you ought to have done. I always separate me from my sin. I always say, you can be better, and you can do better. And I didn't like some of those things that you did to yourself, Buckner. I don't like some of those things you didn't do. But I'm still on your side. I'm still for you. I still believe in you. I still believe you've got potentials you've never realized. Wouldn't it be marvelous if we had that kind of attitude toward each other? I always separate me from my sin. I don't always separate you from your sin. Think what it would do to our homes if we did that for one another. We always want other people to remember us and to see us and to accept us at our best. If we just give what we want for ourselves, think of the marvelous life that would follow. Unconditional love. I love myself unconditionally. You love yourself unconditionally. The Lord says we're to love each other unconditionally. I don't like what everybody does. I repeat, I don't like what I always do. But I'm still on my side. I'm still committed to my survival and to my improvement. Why do we do that with each other? My. And then finally... The love I have for myself is spontaneous. The love you have for yourself is spontaneous. I don't have to get up every day and decide whether I'm going to be on my side today or not. I mean, that's just indigenous, just part of it. Um, have you ever been in a hotel fire? I have. I've been in a couple of hotels that caught on fire. One in St. Louis, Missouri, and another in Richmond, Virginia. In the middle of the night, smelling smoke. That's a frightening experience. And I waked up, and you begin, I opened the door to the hall, and I could see there's smoke was gathering out there. What did I do? Did I go back and sit down on the side of the bed and say, well, Buckner, it looks like the hotel's on fire. And I don't know whether I'm going to save you or not. You had a pretty rotten day yesterday. You fouled up in some things. You didn't do some things you should have done. I don't know whether you're worth getting out of this fire or not. Oh, I'll tell you what I'll do. Let's go over and get a piece of paper out of the desk and get a piece of hotel stationery and draw a line down the middle of it and write 
good and bad on either side, and sit there, and here's smoke just curling underneath the door, you know, sitting there, and you write the good things about yourself and the bad things about yourself, and you, know, you, you run a balance of the books, and if it comes out maybe one or two points to the good, you say, well, okay, get yourself out of the fire, save yourself, maybe you're worth saving after all. Let me tell you something. I don't care what I've done the day before. I don't care what I've not done the day before. I don't care what I've said or what I have not said. I don't care how I look. I don't care what you think. I'm going to get me out of that fire. Now, if Tommy and Charlotte Lyons are down the hall, and uh, I know they're sound asleep in the middle of the night. I got out, and I look down there, and I see some flames. I'm like, oh, my. Hey, Tommy! Uh, Tommy! Go back in and dial, you know, ring room. Uh-oh, the phones are out. Well, you know, I, I went down there and tried to get Tommy. I might not make it. Well, you know, he's had a marvelous life and a wonderful ministry. <laughs> suddenly, my love goes conditional, doesn't it? It suddenly loses its spontaneity. Not with me, not with Martha or Mike or Steve or Lisa. I'd give my life for any one of them. They know that. I know that. You know that about yourself. What about somebody else? And you know, when I look at it like that, like the Lord wants me to look at it, you know what I've got to admit? I don't love anybody like that. And in my own strength, I never will. However hard I try, however much I pray, I never will. I can never do that. Buckner Fanning can never do that. The only way that can happen is for me to let Jesus Christ love you through me and the Christ in you and the Christ in me meet. And I say, Lord, help me to love you with more of my heart, my mind, my soul, and my strength. And, oh, God, with the infusion of your spirit within me, may I progressively love my neighbor as I love myself. May I love them unemotionally. May I love them attitudinally. May I love them unconditionally. May I love them as spontaneously as I love myself. Oh God, become in me what you promised you would do in Jesus Christ. You said you would become in us a well of water springing up into everlasting life. What does a clear, pure spring of water do to the pipe? What does it do to the conduit? What does it do to the ravine? It cleans it. That cool, clear, fresh, pure water springing up from beneath the surface cleans all of the pollution out of the communicator and it provides life-giving water to the recipient. The minute I start tinkering with it, the minute I start tampering with it, I start polluting it. I've got to get me out of the way and I have to become an aqueduct through which the living water of life can flow. And as he flows through me, he sweeps these impurities out of my heart and my life.
and he implants the increasing capacity to love like he loved and to serve like he served. Love God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul. And love yourself in that love and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And you know what happens? You're lucky. You're loved. You're found. You're helped. You're healed and made whole in your spirit.